1: Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and we're bringing you a bonus episode where we're going to discuss venom, let there be carnage. I'm Tim Ifland, movie buff.
2: And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist.
1: And we love to talk all things movies, don't we, Lee?
2: We do, Tim. And we're talking Venom, Let There Be Carnage, which revisits Eddie Brock as he and Venom struggle to coexist while Eddie attempts to reignite his career by interviewing serial killer Cletus Cassidy. While on death row, Cassidy becomes the host of the symbiote Carnage and escapes prison after his failed execution and wreaks carnage
1: riggs carnage indeed where'd you get that idea from (laughs) so venom let there be carnage is directed by andy circus with a screenplay by kelly marcel who wrote cruella and 50 shades of gray that's an interesting combination Yeah, from a story by tom hardy and marcel as well
2: marcel was also one of the writers on the first venom
1: ah right Mm -hmm.
2: so of course let there be carnage stars tom hardy Woody Harrelson, Michelle Williams, and Naomi Harris.
1: Now, just on the writing credits, mm. this is Tom Hardy's first feature film story credits. Yeah, cool. In my research, he didn't contribute to the story in the first Venom film. So I guess I find it a little random that he's contributed to the story here. But anyway, there you go. Little fact Tom Hardy, he's a writer.
2: He does seem like the kind of actor that would want to have a bit of control over you know, fixing the errors of the past, if you will.
1: Right. Well, Venom, the first one back in 2018, was a massive success. I think it made over $800 million worldwide. So, he probably wanted to be more involved.
2: With audiences, yes. But it was a critical bomb, wasn't it?
1: Absolute critical yeah. bomb. You're right. Yeah. So, Lee, this film follows the established yet still developing, let's say, companionship, yep. friendship, and dependability that Venom and Edie Brock have for each other Mm -hmm. and therein lies a lot of the conflict and comedy in this film, I would say, right?
2: Yeah. At the heart of this film is strangely a love story. Two, actually. (laughs) One of them being between the unconventional life partnership of Eddie and Venom and the other between Cletus and his criminally insane lady, Frances, also known as the character Shriek. They were like an unhinged Bonnie and Clyde in this film, weren't they? Yes. So,
1: in setting up the love story that Mm. connects the two villains of the film, the the opening, right, it was so rushed. Sure, it revisits later and helps you join the dots together in their relationship, Mm. but the whole film is set around these characters and their love or their connection to each other, and I felt none of it.
2: Okay, okay. I hear what you're saying.
1: Perhaps it was because one was a deeply disturbed serial killer and the other was a grossly undeveloped character in Mm. Shriek. Was she ever referred to as Shriek in the film? Yes. Oh, okay. I must have
2: completely (laughs) missed missed that. (laughs) (laughs) The story did feel more cohesive and grounded than the first film, if a little flimsy in substance. Mm. It's more polished, definitely, but there are some missing pieces, which I think you've just alluded to. There was... Some moments where you think, oh, there must have been a scene missing there that would have bridged that gap.
1: Yeah. Well, interesting that you say there was a scene missing potentially because I'm a little bit different to you. I don't think the story was more comprehensive or realised than the first one. Mm. The story to me didn't really make any sense. I felt that a lot of it was really random Mm. and quite ham-fisted. And the whole setup with Cletus requesting the journalistic company of Brock, something that was already established in the mid-credit scene of Venom, mm. right, back in 2018, with, might I add, a curly-haired Woody Harrelson? His oh, hair is yes. one whole thing in this film. <laughs>
2: they completely yeah, changed he, that. I didn't notice that. Wow. He
1: had this horrendous perm. Not to say <laughs> that they got his hair right in the sequel, but out. He looked like a clown. So the fact that this film had to redo that scene and set up the proper context for this story was like a red flag out of the gate okay, for me.
2: Okay, I see. The script is pretty woeful, I'll give you that. It's full of cheesy one-liners. I, I think they're going for a Deadpoolish kind of vibe. Is that intentional, mm. do you think?
1: I think it was intentional because the back and forth, the, the banter between Venom and Eddie Brock was definitely Deadpool vibes. I think you've nailed it on the head.
2: But I actually really liked that. I think Venom and Eddie's internal monologue is used to better effect in this film. And it dives into that odd couple relationship between them, I think, more effectively than the first film did.
1: Odd couple indeed. Yeah. Do you find the sort of comedy and banter that they had with each other funny? Like, is that your kind of comedy?
2: Yeah, mostly. It was very cheesy. Like I'll give you that. But I quite enjoyed it.
1: I did find myself laughing out loud once or twice. But if I was to put it in a box, it'd be in the hit and miss box from a comedy perspective. Yeah. But I think that's just a taste that I have.
2: I think I keep comparing it to the first film Mm -hmm. and going, oh, that's better. That's done well. That's a bit better. Like they've learnt from... The first film, definitely, as you should. Yeah. Obviously. I think the movie was effective in making us care about this alien. It makes us care about Venom. Did you feel that?
1: Yeah. He, he had a bit more of a humanity about him because you realize that they're dependable on each other and they just, they realize that they need each other and they yeah. want to support each other and they have coupled tiffs. Mm. Um, but they always come back together in some way and it's quite endearing and sweet. It He just happens to be this big behemoth symbiote <laughs> yeah. monster. So it's quite funny yeah. when you think about it like that.
2: There's not a lot of exposition in this film though. Andy Serkis as a director has foregone the exposition in the film which I think there needed to be a little more of to get that understanding. I'm really
1: happy for you that you were watching this sequel remembering the first one. And giving it a few ticks and pats on the back of things that you were like, hey, they did that better or right because mm. I – and maybe this was because I came out of this film thinking that it wasn't very good at all because I couldn't really remember the first one and connect
2: the right. dots.
1: So I just felt really like lost <laughs> the whole time.
2: I just remember really not liking the first film. It took itself yeah. too seriously and the comedy wasn't right. right. It just hit the wrong tone. Um, It was a very dark film too and I think Andy Serkis has, has lightened this one up with his experience of being in Marvel films. You know, he plays Ulysses Claw in the MCU. Yeah, that's right. So he knows how to bring the good stuff that works from there into this Sony franchise.
1: He's a very good actor. I love Andy Serkis mm. as an actor. And I don't know really much about him as a director. He's, this is only his third feature. He did a Mowgli film for Netflix mm. a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, a film with Andrew Garfield called Breathe back in 2017. But he is best known for his groundbreaking motion capture work. Yes,
2: I love that. Golem
1: in The Lord of the Rings, Tintin, King Kong. He literally yes. played King Kong. Yes. <laughs> and was it Caesar, his character in the Planet yes. of the Apes trilogy? Yep,
2: Yeah, he's fantastic yeah. At motion capture work. He actually did a lot of groundbreaking work with The Lord of the Rings that advanced filmmaking in that area.
1: Amazing, amazing skill and talent. I'm a
2: huge admirer of his. And I think he gets the tone a lot better, as I said, of this character and this series. Mm. You were saying that
1: exposition was missing from this film. Yeah. Like the, the previous movie was an origin film, so it obviously has to lean a lot more on exposition to explain things. Mm. And setting things up, there was no real progression or development in this story for this one. I mm. wonder if I missed some stuff. There was maybe glimpses of character development, especially mm. in the relationship between Venom and Brock, but I really didn't think it went anywhere
2: well you need that exposition if you're someone who's coming into this franchise i mean you probably wouldn't watch one without the other but there are people that will do that that will just jump into this and you need the context around the character and who these people are even if it's just a little bit at the beginning to set the tone and set it up
1: i agree i'm one who needs context i need uh, if i'm watching a series i need that opening recap (laughs) just to help me yeah just to guide me in the upcoming episode so i would appreciate that uh before like sequels because i'm a little bit you know on the back foot going oh i can't remember anything (laughs) from the other one
2: hold my hand venom
1: Lee. before we jump into characters Mm -hmm. and performances i kind of want to call out one thing just because it's uh, relevant to me um there was a shameless yet I guess you could call it genius piece of product placement in this film. I wonder if you know where I'm going. No. And I work in commercial partnerships, so this is my wheelhouse. But when Detective Mulligan enters Eddie's apartment, there is a very apparent and clearly labelled Baravia TV box on the floor. (laughs) And he says, Nice TV. And obviously Bravia is a Sony television who made this film. Um, It was a little on the nose for me, but I got a bit of a chuckle out of the whole product placement thing here.
2: Good eye. I thought you were going to mention the chickens. What was the chicken? I don't know. There was chickens in the film, like KFC product placement or something.
1: (laughs) I'm sure KFC would have loved that. (laughs)
2: All right, let's talk about the characters. I feel like Tom Hardy has refined the character of Eddie Brock since the first film mm. and he's helped refine this story as a co-writer, as we've mentioned.
1: I think it would be a really challenging role, this one, mm. because you're having to talk to yourself a lot yeah, and getting the timing right and landing the jokes and the quarrels yep. uh, that Venom and, and Brock have with each other. I wonder whether it was like Andy Serkis on the side reading out his lines because he can't he can't say mm. them both because he's the voice of Venom as well. Yeah. Is that right?
2: Tom Hardy is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where Andy Serkis' experience really comes into play with the motion mm. capture and acting against things that aren't there. So he knows how to get those performances out of his actors.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Can I call out one really cool thing in this movie yeah. that had me on the floor laughing? There's this scene where Venom is cooking and it is absolutely <laughs> chaotic yeah
2: it's hilarious
1: there's this moment with ketchup and i was like oh my god (laughs) this is the highlight of the movie it was just so perfect perfect it was snappy it was yeah it went on and it was just great i loved it
2: and it came after he's like thrown all this food at him made this huge mess and then just gone ketchup (laughs) (laughs) so good good. all right you want to talk about cletus cassidy as carnage He's a damn sight more terrifying than the usual Venom villain or the previous Venom villain because he's deranged Mm. and unrestrained. You know, Eddie keeps Venom in check and that's what makes them such a good team. But Mm. Cletus Cassidy and Carnage are just both chaotic, psycho killers.
1: Oh, absolute crazy. And who better to play a serial killer than Woody Harrelson? He
2: does it well, doesn't he?
1: Oh, there's just something innately creepy about that man. And that's just not like kind of Willem Dafoe. He's Mm. just got a creepy vibe. So does Woody Harrelson. And he leads into that really well in his performances. But do you think we got to know or understand how dangerously sinister he really was as a character? Were you convinced?
2: Yes, I think so. I, we didn't get a lot of depth to him. Actually, you know, I said before, yeah. I'm going to correct myself now. I said before there wasn't exposition, but there was a bit of needless exposition thrown at this character, you know, of my mom, I killed my mom and I killed my dad and I killed my grandma <laughs> and, and this is why and nobody loves me and I was a ter- had a terrible childhood. And they kind of threw that all in in one sort of monologue that you're like, oh, okay, there's his character development.
1: So, as, as on the nose that was, but did you think they did that? In a really interesting way because they used animation to tell part of his backstory, which I was like, oh, this is super, super interesting to explore his evil sentiment, his evilness as a child, you know, nature versus nurture sort of thing, because it lent into... Cletus as a character always etching and scribbling things on walls and yeah. paper and for them to lift his story in an animated way I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah,
2: and those illustrations made it feel more like a comic book too. Yeah. So it incorporated that really well.
1: Yeah, that's a good call out.
2: Can we talk about Naomi Harris for a second who plays Francis or Shriek, mm-hmm. her comic book name? She suits these kind of roles, doesn't she? She does them really well. She's been Tia Dalma in Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, mm. it's almost jarring to see her as Moneypenny in Bond or Paula in Moonlight. It's strange to see her playing just normal people.
1: I got her vibes from her Pirates of the Caribbean character in this film, Mm. which I loved. But you know what? I've got a bit of a confession to make. I obviously know the name, but I didn't put two and two together that she was Money Penny in the Daniel Craig series of Bond. And I feel like a fool.
2: Because it's so strange to see her in normal roles. You don't put two and two together.
1: Her diversity as a character actress is clear here that I didn't actually realise. I'm super impressed. She was brilliant.
2: Yeah, she's very fantastic. Do you want to talk about the action and the special effects? Because this is... A comic book superhero movie or anti-hero movie.
1: This movie is Hervey on CGI.
2: Yeah. Well, it has to be.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was just like in your face, like CGI, 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 CGI.
2: <laughs> the action is tight and it has a shorter runtime too, this film. I think it's 45 minutes shorter than the first film. Jesus. that Well, exactly. That helps to make it feel fast-paced and engaging but as I said before, it may have been cut to within an inch of its life because there were leaps that mm. really could have benefited from an extra shot or two.
1: Yeah, because I found this film just to be headed in the loud and obnoxious and chaotic territory. It's very loud. Over and over. I said after we came out, like how fucking loud the movie was. Like I'll never hear those levels of sound ever again.
2: Well, remember I came out of the movie with a headache. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, you did? Oh, gosh, that's right. If that gives you any indication <laughs> of how loud it was, like got a headache.
2: Oh, dear. But how did you feel about the way that carnage was introduced with special effects? You know, it really built the tension I felt and the context around the character that this is a really terrifying, you know, larger-than-life character. They had the mm. smoke couldn't see anything coming through It was like a horror film wasn't it and then you see this hand or claw come and grab the door frame and I was just like oh wow like it really set the mood and told you who this character was immediately
1: Yeah, I loved that. The hand, the sort of slow reveal were all layers that made it super impactful Mm. and also the context of which that Cletus first transformed into Carnage was just super, super cool and it made you really terrified as to Mm. how he became Carnage based on what was happening to him.
2: I'm going to reveal something here that I maybe shouldn't but Uh -uh. I also didn't really understand how that came about. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I knew, yeah. I knew, I saw how it happened, mm. but didn't really understand why it happened. And I think they could have explored that a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I feel like that, the mo- I know the moment you're talking about mm. could have been fleshed out a little bit more, could have been made a little bit clearer mm. because it was that leap of convenience, I think, that these sorts of films tend to go down so they can Just carry on into the cool part of the film.
2: (laughs) Like how was he an orange one? You know, there's this really funny moment where Venom goes, Oh no, it's an orange one and like disappears. (laughs) Sorry, my voice is terrified. My my Tom Hardy voice is not very good. You
1: know what? Wasn't so bad.
2: I just think, why is he orange? And where did he come from? And how did that happen? And you know, they could have explained that a bit better.
1: Yeah, because you could say that he was or the symbiote was always gonna be the orange or the red one or whatever colour, or he became that colour because of the the body that he was attached to.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And because yeah, that
1: would be more compelling, right?
2: Yeah. Is that mm. what happened and I just missed it or did it not get explained very well?
1: Well, I'm kind of asking you without asking directly. <laughs> so that I guess it's unclear Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then. We'll go with it's that. It's unclear. The scene in the church, Lee, mm. set the stage for a bloody brilliant standoff. But yep. I felt the choices in how to use that space, this gorgeous Gothic church mm. was a missed opportunity. You know, there were there were some of these really great hero shots, you know, with the stained glass window and yeah. things, but there were few and far between. I think they forgot where they were and they should have utilised that space better for a bigger, you know, climactic spectacle.
2: I was going to say that I liked the choice of the setting mm. for the big climactic battle. I think a church was very clever and it made it feel more natural to the setting
1: oh no i think it was a great place for it to happen i just forgot every now and then that they were in a church and i thought oh but we should be leaning into the aesthetic and the set of this church a little bit more to make it bigger and grander Mm, i see what you're saying also just one thing this could be a bit of a pet peeve with these sorts of superhero films venom destroys rooftops and the sides of buildings (laughs) so casually as he's traversing across the San Francisco skyline. And I have a real issue with this because it's hugely destructive, but no one notices or seems to care <laughs> yes. or say anything about it.
2: Nobody's noticed a giant black monster tearing up buildings all around San Francisco. That's right. It's almost like
1: every, no one's got peripheral vision uh, and <laughs> he just gets away with it. I just find that a bit of a hard pill to swallow, but we are watching a comic book movie. Yeah. So. Suspend belief, all the same. Take it
2: with a grain of salt.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a big grain of salt.
2: Or a piece of chocolate, in Venom's case.
1: Oh, yes. That's funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shall we wrap up Venom, Let There Be Carnage?
1: Let there be a wrap-up. So, I wasn't a fan of the first Venom film, and this sequel is indeed Carnage. All in all, a forgettable comic book film that doesn't offer much other than an incoherent plot and characters you have no connection with or understood their motivations. My senses were often assaulted with how loud this movie was, and it left my head in a spin and my ears ringing. Missed potential comes to mind, and for me, that's the most disappointing takeout I could have for a film. I'm going to rate Venom Let There Be Carnage 2, Popcorn Kernels.
2: Well, Let There Be Carnage doesn't take itself as seriously as the first Venom film, and finds a more enjoyable tone that will excite fans of the comic book characters, I had a good time in this film, certainly a better one than I did with the original film, and it felt like an engaging ride, if still a little sloppy and chaotic. Arguably, the best bit is the mid-credits scene, so we didn't really talk about that, and we can't because it's a spoiler, but make sure you stay for that one because it will blow your mind.
1: Don't go anywhere, guys. Don't go anywhere.
2: (laughs) But it's a bit of a problem when the mid-credits scene is the best thing about a film. (laughs)
1: a <laughs> my problem.
2: See, I'm tearing it apart, but I actually had a good time in this film. I'm going to give it two and a half popcorn kernels.
1: Well, there you go, guys. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is in Australian cinemas from November 25.
2: And that's it for this bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast.
1: As always, thank you so much for listening.
2: We'll catch you next time. We have a website. Popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you to listen to.
1: If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an about us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.